We've all, we've all been there at some point in life. We've all done it. We have to admit it. We've allowed our pride, our egos, our, our jealousies, our anger, whatever, to get the best of us. And somehow we have then injured, maybe even broken, a relationship that we have had for years or maybe it's been the other way around. You've been the one who has been hurt. You've been the one who, who has been sinned against, and, and, and you just are done with it. And we've all been there, and, and we've all done it. And we'll probably do it again, most likely. The Bible is so unique in its understanding of life's issues that it not only captures the, the most joyous points in history of, of who we are, but sometimes it drags in the worst points of life. And we see people go through all the ups and downs in, in, in relationship with one another and how God works in the midst of all of that. We know that <clears throat> the Bible has unique stories that deal with stories of redemption, stories of reconciliation. I mean, they're illustrated over and over again, not only in black and white, but in living color. As uh, we gather this morning, I just want to kind of maybe have you gather around for a story time and look at some of the, the things that are in the Scripture. There's a story in the Bible, and normally we look at the main character and, and, and we follow that person, but I want us to kind of take a view of some of the other people that are involved in this story. It's a story that has, has been spoken so many times, and, and I don't want us to focus on the main character whose name is Joseph. It's found in the book of Genesis between chapters 37 and 45, and, and it just kind of squeezes in that, that, that book. And that's, that's a lot of, of Scripture verses that, that are dedicated to this story of, of re- great story of reconciliation, I think. Um, and there's so much that we can learn about it. You know, a lot of times this story might be one of based on love and hate and, and hope and fear and dreams and jealousies and favoritism and, and anger and consequences and separation and broken homes. And, but yet this story has something really unique about it in that it brings an ultimate relationship of reconciliation at the very end of it. The one that never seemed like it would ever be possible. Our story begins and we discover Jacob. Uh, he's the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. And then they're living in this land, wandering around, and, and, and really haven't set up homes. They're just kind of in tents. And Jacob has a, a larger family. Matter of fact, he's got 12 sons. One daughter, poor Dinah, 12 boys. And, and as these boys are growing up, we discover, as we, we look through this story in, in, in Genesis, that Jacob's family wasn't the best family out there. It wasn't just, you think he's a man of God. He's, he's someone that God has really poured himself into, and, and he's, he's given him a special name as well, the name by the, by a man by the name of Israel. He changes his name from Jacob to Israel, and Israel means uh, he who wrestles or struggles with God. And Jacob has had his ups and downs, but now his family is beginning to fall apart. You see, Jacob has one of his sons that has become his favorite. Now, I know, moms and dads, you don't have your favorites. I do. (laughs) And they both know they are. And so it's that little toy that's going in there. But Jacob has had a favorite. And it is his son, Joseph, who was born to his beloved wife, Rachel. 
And, and Jacob, he pours himself into the life of, of, of Joseph, and he, he does all kinds of things for him. And the boys know that, that Jacob is loved more than they are. And matter of fact, Jacob has even made him a beautiful multicolored coat that is finely ornamented, and he stands out among the rest of them while he's dressed in all these fine linens, and the rest of the boys probably had just sheepskin. We, we don't know what they wore, but it was obvious to them Jacob loved Joseph more. And so when they began thinking about that, it allowed hatred to grow in their hearts and to build up in them and to begin to fester through the years. To make matters worse, Joseph, he's a tattletale. And, and he was this big dreamer. And so... God would give him dreams, and he would tell the boys, this is what God let me see in my dreams. And, and he would tell them that one of these days, you're going to be kneeling before me and, and giving me honor and respect. And remember, he's the younger brother here, and, and they're like, that's not happening. Matter of fact, even mom and dad are going to be on their knees before me. You know, this is just the way God has, has designed it. They got enough of this. They heard it over and over again, and every time they go out to the fields, Jacob would send Joseph out. And go find out what those boys are doing. They should be over in that one field with the sheep and not over there. Make sure they're there. Make sure things are going well. And then Joseph would go. He'd look at it. He'd come back home and tattle on them again. And they knew that something, this was just the course of life for them. Joseph was special. Well, one day they were thinking about this as they were gathered around out in the fields taking care of their father's sheep. And they saw in the distance Joseph beginning to walk forward. And they got together and began talking. You know what? I'm tired of this boy. Let's just get rid of him somehow. And their anger began to feed off of one another until finally, as he had arrived, they had determined in their hearts that they were going to kill him. But Reuben, the oldest of the boys, he said, fellas, that, that's a little severe. Maybe we ought not do that. I mean, he is our brother after all. Fine. So they had an idea. They'll beat him up, give him the what for, and give him the best licking he'd ever had in his life, throw him in the pit, and then they saw this caravan approaching, a caravan of Ishmaelites who were leaving Gilead and heading over to Egypt. And they thought, let's sell him. <laughs> let's make some money off of this boy. At least that's, something good for us can come out of this. And so that's exactly what they did. When the Ishmaelites appeared, they sold their brother Joseph to them as a slave. And then they thought, uh-oh, now how are we going to tell Dad? Uh, the best laid plans of mice and men, I guess. But they figured it out. We'll rip up that coat. That'll take pride in ripping that coat up, too. And we'll put blood on it, and we'll tell Dad that he must have been eaten by a bear or something because this is all we found was left was his coat. And they did that. They literally sold their brother to slavery after they beat him up. They took his coat, they shredded it, dipped it in the blood of the sheep, and they gave it to their dad. And with brokenness upon his heart, he is, he's, he's just shattered. Now, I want us to jump forward about 21 years. 21 years later is where our story comes into play here. And, and, and Joseph is now about 38. He was 17 at the time that they sold him off. 
And we find Joseph, instead of suffering a never-ending life of slavery and servitude, is now in charge of everything in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And God has continued to give Joseph dreams, and he's given him the ability to interpret other people's dreams. And God has prepared for him the ability now to save Egypt because they're going to be going through seven years of wondrous, bountiful harvest, followed up by seven years of famine. And so they were able to build barns and barns and barns and areas where they could just keep storehouses of grain so that when they hit those seven years of famine, Egypt will have enough grain left over to take care of everything. Now, it would have been easy for for Joseph to simply send a note to Jacob, his dad, and say, hey, I'm alive. I didn't, whatever the boys told you, it wasn't true. But I'm alive and I'm here and and God has been blessing me and and I want to give you an opportunity to come to here and, and, and be taken care of, but he doesn't do that. Because Joseph somehow probably knows at some point God is going to fulfill those dreams that he had given him years ago when he was just a boy. And sooner or later, those boys are going to come looking for him. And it's probably sooner than later. And so he's going to wait. Patiently, he waits. Sure enough, it's about that time. So as we begin to look at this story, I want us to to stop for a moment. And the first stop we're going to make is we're we're going to have to recognize that Reconciliation requires recognition of guilt. That's the first thing that takes place when we want to have a reconciliation with somebody. You need to recognize your own guilt in this. And so in Genesis chapter 42, beginning at verse, four, beginning at verse 21, or verse 1, it says, When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt, so go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. Now see, their father seems to notice something strange about their look. You know, they've been going through some famine time, and they're running out of their own provisions. And Jacob hears a message that Egypt has got a lot of food. I mean, they've got storehouses down there that, that this guy has been working on to because somehow the gods of heaven or whoever prepared him to understand that. And so Jacob says, boys, let's go to Egypt. Why don't you go there and get some food and bring it back to us? And as soon as he says that word Egypt, they begin looking at each other. You see, they know something about Egypt that he doesn't know. That's where they sold their brother. Maybe they had made a promise that once they took that message to dad that Joseph was dead, they would never speak of it again. 21 years later, just the mention of Egypt. And he can see on the countenance of their face, something's up. Because they're all looking at each other. What do you know about Egypt? Why are you guys looking at each other? What's going on? So, Joseph's brothers are now forced to consider traveling down to Egypt to go purchase food because that's where Dad wants to send them. And God is using this famine to get their attention. 
And now all of a sudden they have recognized their sin and their guilt in this. Sometimes God uses material needs in our own lives to cause us to stop and to think. And a lot of times those needs are based upon our own consequences. We've done something in the past and we're there as a result of it. And he brings back to our mind and we recognize exactly where we are and what we have done. Jesus told a story about a young man that's very similar to this. A young man that went to his dad and basically told his dad, I, you know, I wish you were dead. You know, I, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. I want my inheritance. So if you just give it to me, I will get out of your hair and you'll never see me again. And so his father says, okay. So he gives him his inheritance. And the boy takes it and he runs off to another country far away and he squanders his money on wild living. Anything and everything he could think of. And not only is he spending it on himself, but he's trying to buy friends with his money until finally he runs out of money and nobody wants to help him. And it isn't until that moment that he's standing there feeding somebody else's pigs and he looks at their food and he's as hungry as can be that he's even considering getting down on his knees and sticking his face in their trough and eating it for himself. That he recognizes his own sin and how he treated his father and what he's been doing in life and he determines then he is going to make it right and he's going to go back and be his father's servant. What does it take to have you recognize your own guilt, your own sins. You see, these ten brothers, that very word Egypt was an ominous reminder of the evil that they'd done to their younger brother years before. They're not anxious about reliving that moment. They want to avoid Egypt, but they can't. And thinking about the possibility of them having to go now to Egypt and maybe something might be said or something might be done. Now catch this. They still haven't told Jacob. It's still a secret. So they head out. And upon arrival in Egypt, they go before the guy who's selling all the food, and, and they make their way in there to make a, a trade with him. We're going to take some money in and buy some food and head out and go back and take care of Dad. But while they're there, they get into this conversation with this fellow, this Egyptian, and he's interrogating them who are you where do you come from what are you doing here are you spies and so he's trying to find out information about them he's asking them all kinds of questions so there's 12 brothers how come there's only 10 of you here is your dad still alive you have another brother what's going on and so they just spill the beans yeah we we got a dad back there we have another brother who's no longer we've got a, a younger brother that's back there with dad and he's and he stayed behind and he says okay I don't trust you. I think you guys are here to spy on us. So he throws him in prison for three days. Three days he allows him to sit in prison. And then Joseph goes before them and he says, I've got to change a plan. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to keep one of you. And the rest of you can go back. And the only way you're getting that brother back out of prison is if you bring back and prove to me that you're being honest, that you do have another brother and you have a father. How do I know you're not lying to me? So he takes his brother Simeon and he puts Simeon in prison and releases the other and gives them their grain and they head out. 
Well, as they're getting ready to head out, he's got another plan that's going to happen. And so he arrests them, sets them free, sends them out, and he says to, this, to them here in verse 21 of chapter 42, they're standing there as all is going on. They surely, they say, we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. The words that these brothers are having with one another, they reveal to Joseph what's going on in their hearts. And he understands that. And so, so it's likely this, this test that he's going to do for them to see really what's going on. And, and he's opened up this, this, the old festering wounds of their heart because what they had done, and now they're speaking to one another, which they have probably never spoken about it since that day that they did it. Twenty years have gone by, and all of a sudden they're faced with it and faced with it and faced with it again and again and again. And now they're having their conversation This has got to be because of what we did to Joseph. I mean, he pleaded with his life, and he begged for us not to do it, but we did it anyway. These are the consequences now that God is paying us back for our evil. You know, I think that's what happens when we have unconfessed guilt. And this account reveals to us how God sends a crisis in our time or pressure to bring us to a moment where we're willing to admit our wrongs. Now, as the brothers are talking about this amongst themselves, Joseph, who had been up to this point using an interpreter, he overhears them admit their guilt. And he nearly breaks down into tears right there before him, so he leaves. And it lets us know that Joseph, he's not doing this, accusing them of being spies, putting them in prison. He's not doing this because he's angry about them. But he wants to know, are you truly repentant? Are you really sorry for what you've done to me? Has your hearts changed? Are you still the same angry, jealous, greedy guys that you were when I was growing up? So he sends them on their way back home. But he instructs one of his servants to take the silver that they brought with them to buy the grain and put it in their bags, each one of them. The next day after they're rising from, you know, travel, they get out and they look in their bags and they realize, we've got that silver. This, where'd this come from? But they head on home. Now, it, it, it's, I, I must admit, these fellows are probably pretty slow at, at rescuing Simeon while he's sitting there rotting in prison. Because the scripture tells us that they went home to Jacob, they left Egypt, they went back up to Canaan, and while they're there, they're waiting until all their grain that they brought back is gone. They've eaten it all. And they don't have any more, and the famine is continuing. And so dad says, boys, we need more grain. You're going to have to go back to Egypt. The Bible doesn't tell us their communication with Jacob about where Simeon is. They just kind of ignore that until all the grain is gone. And now Reuben and Judah, they begin to explain what happened the last time they went to Egypt. And they're, they're saying, Dad, you don't understand. When we went there, this man that's in charge, this Egyptian there, 
he thought we were spies. He treated us like spies. And then we found this silver, and we didn't know what to do because it was, it was the silver that we had given him to purchase the grain, and it's back in our bags. We didn't take it. And so he's holding Simeon hostage as a prisoner until we take Benjamin back with us. And Jacob says, you're not taking Benjamin. And Reuben says, we've got to because he will, surely he will not give us grain without Benjamin. That's what he said. And Jacob says, you're not taking Benjamin. I've already lost one son. I'm not losing another. And then Judah steps forward. And Judah says, Dad, I'll tell you what. Let us take Benjamin. And if anything happens to Benjamin, it's on me. I will take his place. I will, whatever what consequences might come, let it be on me. But there's no way we're going to get Simeon back, and there's no way we're going to even live without the food that we can go get. So I will take full responsibility. It will be on my head if something happens. And Jacob relents, and he lets him go. Now, we've got to understand, as he makes their way there, Joseph hears of their coming, and he prepares a banquet for them in his house. In his palace, these boys are going to come. Now that's unusual because Egyptians did not have dinner with foreigners. It was below their grade level to do that. But he is going to welcome them into his house for a dinner. And so that's what happens. Upon their return to Egypt, Joseph arranges this banquet for the brothers at his house. And when they arrive there, they get a hold of his chief steward of his house. And they say, we've got to confess something to you. Last time we were here, we bought the grain we left our brother Simeon. We had to come back and get Benjamin, who we brought with us. But the problem is, the next day we noticed that the silver was in our bags. We didn't take it, but it's here. So we've brought it back with us. And the servant says this, and it's kind of a puzzling response. In Genesis 43, 23, he, says, he replied, Peace to you. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money so obviously this steward is a part of the plot with with joseph and now he's letting them know don't worry about it i i know all about it matter of fact i'm the one who put the money in your bags it's because of your god is a great god and he's given you treasures so at this feast that joseph is making for them he begins to ask about the condition of his father their father is he still alive? Is he well? Well, yeah, yeah. He's, but he's, you know, he's heartbroken about this and bringing Benjamin along with us and everything. And so he stops and he he gives this blessing. Listen to what he says in, in verse twenty nine through thirty one of Genesis forty three. He lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin. It's his mother's son. And he said, "Is this?" Your youngest brother. Now remember, he has not seen him for over 21, 22 years now. He says, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he says, God be gracious to you, my son. So Joseph hurried out, 
for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and he wept there and then he washed his face and he came out and controlling himself he says serve the food the brothers notice something odd one is just his countenance is a little bit different and, and he's sending food from his table over to their table. And, and matter of fact, Benjamin, he's giving him five times as much food as he's given them. And then they start noticing somebody has sat us at the table in order of our age by birth. Who would know that? What is going on here? And they're beginning to really kind of get a little worried about things. Something is up. Something is happening. And this man Joseph probably knows more than what he's letting on. Once again, secret instructions are given because they're going to leave now with Simeon and Benjamin and all the grain and he tells his steward one more time you take that silver that they gave to buy that grain you put it back in their sacks and by the way take my silver cup that I was drinking out of last night and you put it in Benjamin's sack the youngest boy so they did and then he tells his steward the next day you head on out you go get him you confront those guys and you want to know about the money that's been stolen and especially I'm concerned about my silver cup and so he does he approaches them and when the brothers left the next morning the steward was sent out to catch him and, and to find out who the thief was and and naturally the cup is found in Benjamin's sack and everybody is surprised and now what happens to these brothers is ultimately the, the main section of this whole story because now they're gonna do everything they can to save Benjamin's life because the steward said whoever has that is going to be a slave in the kingdom here and they're going we agree if any one of us took that cup yeah well we'll do that and they find it in Benjamin's oh no what's happening what's happening so they all return to the city not just Benjamin they all return to the city with everything and they go once again before Joseph at his house and Judah, remember Judah had told Jacob, Dad, if anything happens, I'm going to take his place. I'm going to see to it. May it fall on me, whatever happens. So Judah stands up, and he begins to tell the story to Joseph of what it took to get Benjamin there in the first place. I told Dad that if anything happened to him, I would be the one. And now he's the one who's doing this? That can't be him. So why don't you take me? Listen to what he says there in, in verse 33 and 34 of Genesis, the 44th chapter. Now, therefore, please let your servant servant that's him let me re remain instead of the boy as a servant of my lord and let the boy go back with his with his brothers for how can i go back to my father if the boy is not with me i fear to see the evil that may come and find my father i can't face dad He's already lost one son. He can't lose another. So take me. If you're going to take anybody, take me. And Joseph, Joseph is listening to this. And we need to stop again. 
And I think our second stop along the road to reconciliation, while we've already discovered that not only is, is recognition of our guilt supposed to be a part of it, but confessing our sins and making restitution if needed. So there's this little cat and mouse game that Joseph is still playing with the boys. Don't know what it's for, but I'll tell you what. Trust, once it is broken in a friendship, just saying you're sorry doesn't cut it. And we think it should. I apologize. I said I'm sorry. But you know, when trust has been damaged, it takes action. It takes proof. It may take years. It's going to take time to demonstrate to the other person that you are going to be honest in this. So Joseph is just seriously saying, are my brothers changed? Are they different than what they were? Because I don't want something to happen to Benjamin because if they leave with him and I let him go, they may beat him up because they got in trouble about it. I believe there's often a misconception that Christians have about forgiveness. Even Peter had misconception. Well, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus says, no. Seventy times seven. I mean, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. There really is. And Jesus wants us to understand that. He wanted Peter to understand that. And no, it's not just seven times and you go on your way. It needs to be reconciled. Consider somebody who's an abuser of other people. They keep doing it, and then they keep saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And then they keep beating them up again. How many times do we continue to let them before we say, enough, my trust is gone, I no longer accept that. You need to demonstrate to me that you are changed. We're all there. We all have to do that. A truly restored relationship requires not only recognizing and confessing guilt, but real repentance may sometimes very well include restitution when necessary. In this situation with Joseph, he'd already forgiven his brothers years ago, though they don't even know it. And he probably really wanted to reveal to them who he was, but he's being very careful just to make sure that they have really, truly changed. And so all of this intrigue, all of this thing was for the purpose of really exploring what had happened to all of his brother's hearts to see whether or not they were really repentant of what they had done to him years before. And their response in protecting Benjamin with their very own lives demonstrated to him that they were honest about this. They were no longer the same. And so it takes us along our third stop and our final stop on the road to reconciliation, and it's this. Sometimes reconciliation requires receiving grace. Chapter 45, beginning in verse 1. It says, Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Make everyone go out from me. Now, he's not talking about the brothers. He's talking about all of his Egyptian servants and his stewards and his guards and those who are around to protect him. He wants them out of the room. And he wants to be with these boys just by himself. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept out loud. 
so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. They were dismayed at his presence. They're shocked. What? What? And so Joseph says to his brothers there in verse 4, Come near to me, brothers, please. And they came near, and he said to them, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Joseph understood that the reason that he was sold into slavery, that the reason he was a prisoner, that the reason he was in jail, that the reason he is now second in command only to Pharaoh is because God has been working his plan to redeem them and to save even a remnant because he promised Abraham, he promised Isaac, he promised Jacob, and he has promised these boys, one of these days the Messiah is going to come through you, and if they die... It's not going to happen. And so God sent me. You sold me, but he sent me. So don't be angry with yourselves. It was God's plan. And in this story, in this account, we can see that the relationship can fully be restored, but it takes recognition of guilt. It takes true repentance. It takes confession of sin in order for grace to be truly received. Do you need to take steps this morning to confess your sins to somebody? Maybe you did something 20 years ago. Maybe you did something last week. Quite possibly it might have even been this morning on your way into church. that You've sinned against somebody. It's not too late. It's never too late to to recognize our own unworthiness, our own sins. It's never too late to confess what we have done and to seek restoration. And and, and, and if we have to, if we have to pay a penalty somehow, that we're willing to do it. And if it means that you have to surrender your life in order to do that, that's what Judah was willing to do. Take me instead. You see, David Seamans, in his book, Healing for Damaged Emotions, he says this, The two primary causes of emotional distress are the failure to receive forgiveness and the failure to forgive. An even greater philosopher, Lucy, explained to Charlie Brown at the end of the game, explaining why she'd lost sight of the ball and and had dropped it and failed to make that catch. And she just simply said, sorry, I I missed that easy fly ball manager. I had thought about it, but suddenly I remembered all the others I'd missed and the past got in my eyes. Don't let your past get in your eyes. Do what you need to do today to succeed in Christ. Rob, if you all want to come up. See, even though the brothers' intentions had been evil, God used those intentions for His good, for you 
and for me. He used it as a tool to send Joseph ahead of them to prepare for them and to preserve them and to save their lives. And his, his dreams, they had been real after all because here were his brothers kneeling before him, begging for their lives, begging for their brother to be saved. And so it came into fruition, everything God had told him. And he could see now God's handiwork in all of this, that God was bringing them in to save them for the future redemption of the world. And so we have to recognize how is God working in our lives today? See, Joseph may have been, he probably didn't have his act together when he was 17, and he was probably immature in the way he understood and responded to his brothers about his dreams and about those things. But now God has elevated him to a position of greatness, and he has matured in God and is preserving his family because of the promise of Abraham that had been made. In our relationship with God, it's the same. But we're not ready to receive that grace until we confess our own sins. The Apostle John, who was that beloved disciple, that best friend of Jesus, it seems like, he writes to the church, and in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, God's grace is free. And He has given us a spirit of reconciliation. He has given us a ministry to reconcile the world to Him. And He has done that Himself through the blood of His own Son, Jesus, who took our place. He sacrificed his life to take the penalty for your sin so you don't have to. That's grace. It's an amazing grace. That's grace that is abounding and, and real and live. But it's only extended to you when you make restitution. I thought the scripture said it's free. Well, it is. Well, let me kind of explain. You still have to pay a price. You still have to die for your sins. I thought Jesus died for my sins. Well, he did. But it says you need to die to yourself and you need to live in Christ. And the only way that that is possible is if you die to yourself and then you are buried in the watery grave of baptism. And then He rises you up to life. And he, he gives you as a new creation, a new heart, a new life. You are somebody totally different at that point. You and your sinful life is dead. Penalty has been paid. Now it is time to be redeemed. It is time to receive grace. It is time to be raised to real life everlasting life, never to see what death is going to do again. He wants you to accept it. Confess to Him that you need His salvation. And He offers it freely. And if you have not repented, if you have not confessed Him as your Lord, if you have not said the things that you have done wrong, if you have not been buried and allowed yourself to die into that watery grave of baptism, Today can be your day. 
You could come out of those waters today a new person, totally cleansed, totally made righteous and whole and, and pure and sinless, holy as He is holy, perfect as He has been made perfect. And it's a gift that's given. Will you stand and will you sing? And will you come if you need to?